Hello, beautiful people, and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Hey Twenties. There are a few disclaimers that I want to get out of the way first. One being that I'm sorry I did not upload for last week. One, I just wasn't in a space to do it, and I didn't want to pretend or come off as inauthentic because I didn't want to. I didn't want to talk. I had nothing to say, and I didn't want to talk. So I didn't want to put that energy out into the world and have people receive it because I just wasn't in a space and I'm sure a lot of you can understand. What I'm currently working on is recording a bunch of episodes stockpiling so when I run into instances like last week where I don't feel like filming I'll just upload an episode that I've already recorded which I should be doing anyway like doing it once a week on this rigid schedule doesn't always work for me. Anyway, I also want to address something that I mentioned towards the tail end of this week's episode. And I make a comment, something along the lines of being a a full-blooded Canadian, which sounded so wrong coming out of my mouth when I said it. Like, I didn't really mean it, but it's just to emphasize or to prove a point or whatever. I said those words, and it felt incomplete when I said that. And what I mean by incomplete is that I'm an immigrant. Maybe I'm taking this too seriously. I don't think that I am. But what is it? What does it mean to be a Canadian? Right? I my parents immigrated here. I think in the early '70s um, from Europe. And from the information that I do have and the knowledge that I've been able to acquire, I know that I am on stolen land. That I live, work, play, educate, uh, exist on stolen land. Where I currently reside here in Vancouver, I want to acknowledge that I'm on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Squally-Tooth nations. It's important that I say that because I realize that I'm not a full-blooded Canadian, and I recognize the history that Canada has with Indigenous people, and it's not one that we should be proud of as a nation. And so I really want to highlight that because it just, it felt wrong coming out of my mouth. And if it felt wrong, it probably was wrong. So I just wanted to clarify that. Anyways, I'm sorry for the long-winded intro. To introduce today's beautiful host, I sit down with Kaylee Roberts, who is the author of the book Unreported. In Unreported, she accounts women's stories of sexual assaults and why they didn't report them. In the book, she talks about her own experience. And in this conversation, we talk a little bit about that and our recovery process. If this is too much for you, then definitely click off. I get that you and your needs and your healing and journey come first. This is a heavy topic. However, I would like to highlight that I think Kaylee and I do a really good job at making it light because neither Kaylee nor I bring heaviness to the conversation. I think it's primarily because we're in our own healing process and we look back on our trauma and our instance of sexual assault with this odd level of gratitude, which sounds bizarre. I understand that it sounds bizarre, but I would recommend that you stay tuned, listen to it, because our traumas don't define us. We attach stories to meaningless situations. I am not my sexual assault. I'm not the crime that was committed to me, nor are you if you've done something bad or if something bad has been done onto you. You are not that. You are not those defining characteristics. There is so much more to you if you let there be. So without further ado, here is Kaylee Roberts. Kaylee, 
thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time and uh, appreciate you connecting with me. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. And I, uh, I really admire our dedication to getting the tech right at the beginning here. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. That was dedication for sure. The universe was testing us (laughs) (laughs) for sure, for sure. But we prevailed. Yeah, no, I'm so excited. I love, I love talking to women. Um, you know, favorites just have girl, girl to girl conversations. So yeah, thanks again for having me there's. No problem. It's my pleasure. There's nothing like um, a good female connection, woman connection. I definitely need more of that in my life, but that's, I guess, another tangent for another time. Um, (laughs) So Kaylee is, is magnificent in so many ways. One being that she wrote a book called Unreported, if I'm correct unreported yes there it is oh and she has it <laughs> unreported yep. and um you talk about uh, women's stories of sexual assault and i'm just wondering yeah. and curious uh where you got that idea from so basically yeah so i grew up with my you know my mom my aunt my two younger sisters my both my grandmas uh being literally within a two mile radius of me. So they were always talking to each other, uh, sharing opinions, very strong opinions and, um, talking about, you know, issues that women have. And, um, and so when I got to college, I think women's issues were definitely at the forefront of my mind already. And I started realizing that a lot of my friends were experiencing this new issue. Um, and then I, I experienced it as well, which is sexual assault and rape. Um, and it was just, there was quite an array of situations and quite an array of reactions. And so that had been my freshman year. And then, you know, ever since then, I've been thinking about what does this mean for me? Um, I've been a writer since I was a little kid and, you know, in high school and college and after college. And um, it wasn't until a couple of years after it happened to me that I, my boyfriend at the time said to me, you know, why didn't you report? And mm-hmm. I was like, what? I, it never even crossed my mind to report. Um, and he goes, I mean, you're so passionate about this and you're so passionate about making sure that this doesn't happen to other people um, that I just think reporting could have been the way that you could have helped you know, apprehend that guy and make sure he doesn't do it again. Mm-hmm. So that got me thinking on in a whole different realm. And I started thinking, you know, first of all, did I do something wrong? Honestly, you know, did I mess up? Is this guy still out there on the loose because of me? Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, through some a couple of years, a little bit of therapy, I, I realized that you know, that was my reaction in the moment. That's what I felt like I needed to do for my healing process. Um, But I became curious why my healing process um, felt so juxtaposed to the act of reporting. And then when I looked at the statistics, as on the low end of the statistics, 75% of people don't report uh, sexual assault and rape. And then there are statistics, there are other statistics that say even more than that, don't report. It's hard to know, right? So, um, so yeah, so then I became curious, why does seemingly no one's healing process line up with reporting? And just what do we need to do to fix that? Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I think that's so beautiful. And I think your message is, is so powerful. And you're definitely, um, I think, helping a lot of people heal 
but um, I'm curious to find what uh, what did you find when you were writing this book? Why is it that people don't report their sexual assault? I do think that's 70, what did you say? 75%. So that's quite yeah. low. <laughs> it's crazy. I wonder how people <laughs> come to that statistic because it's like, you just hear stories and people haven't told anyone before, which I really want to get into later with you. Um, but yeah. I just feel like there are so many women who've never told a soul. So I'm, I would be you know, hard pressed to believe that it weren't closer to like 99% of people don't report it. Yeah. That was one of, one of the statistics I found it was 80 to 95% don't Mm. report. And I feel like that's more in line, but I was like, (laughs) I will play it conservative, whatever. 75 is still staggering and it's still, it still makes it it underreported crime. Mm. So, um, but yeah, what I found, I mean, I went into writing the book kind of, I had brainstormed with my editor, a list of reasons that a person wouldn't report just based on what I'd read and, you know, researched and listened to in other podcasts and and documentaries. And then also just based on my own kind of feeling, right. Um, And memories. And when I went into the book with that in mind, that list, I sort of became a little overwhelmed because this is a topic where everyone doesn't report for so many different reasons, but also so many of the same reasons. So each woman that I spoke with, I interviewed, you know, probably about 15 different people who had never reported um, and talked to them about why they didn't and how it helped their healing process and how potentially it hurt their healing process and what they wish could be different. And I was frustrated at first because none of them fit into a box. Like I was hoping, oh, this girl will fit into this box. This one will fit into this box. And Um, and that didn't happen. And then I talked to this female detective who kind of turned my world upside down. She's amazing. And she said, you know, where we fail is trying to fit people into this prescribed notion of here's why you didn't report. Here's how we could fix it for you. Mm. She says, really what we need to be doing is with each individual person in each individual situation, just look at them and say, what do you need right now? And that's not something law enforcement's built for. I know, right? I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for those of you just listening and not and not watching, I you know had to praise my hands to that one because it's it's true. That's that is part of our unique healing process. Is what do you need instead of forcing people to fit into these so called boxes like you just mentioned? Because that's not conducive to individual healing processes. Processes. Exactly. Exactly. And so that was big for me because. You know, I think I knew I fit into many of the boxes, um, but I think also it was a bit scary to me, if that makes sense, because when I was going into writing the book, I was like, okay, if we can just find a, make a blueprint, like just make a plan for law enforcement to follow, mm-hmm. uh, maybe we can make change. And then what I realized is kind of some of the fundamental aspects of law enforcement do need to change, I think, for this for reporting sexual assault to feel comfortable for a lot of people. But I know, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if you want, if you don't want to get into this, just cut me off. But like, oh, no, I know please. you did report. So yes. that yes. is so fascinating. And I wish I had met you before I wrote the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I, I did actually want to bring that up. I thought it was a perfect segue um, because we are two people who experience sexual assault but you know, you did not report. Whereas I did, I was in a bit of a different, um, circumstances. I was 
10. Um, so it's really, I think in, in Canada, because you're located in the States. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in, in Canada, you, uh, once you hear of, of like child abuse of any regard, you have to report it. Like there's no way mm-hmm. or else you will also be held accountable. Um, so you have to report it. So once I told my mom, she was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, you can't <laughs> tell anyone. You cannot tell us all. She's like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> She's like, like sorry, just, I yeah. have to. <laughs> yeah, I kind of have to now. So yeah. yeah. That happened. Um, but I, as um, we talked about this over the phone mm. prior to this interview, but that my, I mean, that reporting it was definitely not conducive to my healing and was so much more destructive. Like it was so painful for me that I started questioning, did this even happen? Because that's kind Mm. of like the lawyer's motive, right? Like to Mm. make sure that you were, that you're mistaken, like, but you know, it was a dream. Like that didn't really happen. Are you sure it was even him and, and this and that and poking holes in your story. That's what they're hired to do. But as a kid, especially, you know, that was so traumatic and so painful and really um, did a, caused me a lot of pain. Um, But like we also talked about before, I think that that's something that I had to do. I had to go through that and I had to report it to know just what the outcome would be. It doesn't have to be an outcome in my favor, but at least I know now um, that, uh, yeah, there's some closure there. And you know what, Madison, I feel like that's such a powerful point because it's so true. And I know even from going through, I mean, I spent, yeah, like six years not telling, I mean, I told a lot of my friends and like my, every boyfriend I've ever had has known, but like, I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell people. It wasn't something people knew about me. And I think I had a lot of fear about that, um, about what would happen if they found out, um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, with the woman I interviewed for the book, you know, no one specifically mentioned a lack of closure, but I do think by the very essence of having this end game that you know exists that you can report and choosing Mm -hmm. not to, I mean, you do, you do kind of get robbed of that formal closure. And I think it results in a lot of people having to find ways, um, to make closure for themselves a bit. Mm -hmm. And what I am happy about is for some of the women that I interviewed, I think seeing their story like in paper was a form of, of that closure. Right. I mean, that's the ultimate release telling your story, having someone else rewrite it and put it in a book. I don't know. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of uh, power to that. Um, bringing your story to the light, because I I don't think that pain can live in the light. I think that when you keep things hidden, when you keep things secretive and in the dark, it has power over you. Um, We carry this baggage. We carry other people's stories because we're, we're, there's shame associated with it, but it's not our shame to carry. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned only now, like a decade later, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, more than a decade later, um, yeah. just being like, this is not my story. This is not my shame. I, this would have happened right. to anyone. It was just wrong place, wrong time. Kind of Isn't thing. it so crazy when you tell a story that you think is going to make people, you know, is going to make people feel a certain way about you or, you know, make people cast shame on you. And then all of a sudden you tell it and you're bracing for that, like, oh, and then yeah. it doesn't come. And that I think mm-hmm. is one of the most freeing things. And, and as people who have been through this and also just people who understand it, right. I think there's so much power in hearing 
someone else tell their story and looking at them and just being like, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. That's not Mm -hmm. you. I mean, I'm sorry it happened to you, but like, it's not on you (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. and sitting in pure non-judgment, um, has been something I really have enjoyed over the, over the course of writing this book. And I, I wish, I wish there were more people that could have done that with me. And I hope, you know, going forward that we can all be more of that resource for each other. Mm-hmm. Well, you're paving a way, you're paving a way for people. Um, <laughs> so are you. Is, <laughs> we both are. <laughs> um, but uh, you asked me something yesterday that I want to ask you now, and mm. it's the essence of, of sorry and what that means to you. And how do you feel when people say, I'm sorry that that happened to you? I was just thinking that when I just said that, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> we talked about that. It's such an interesting thing. I think you know, part of not telling some of the people I didn't tell was I really didn't want that. I'm sorry. Like, and, and when I first started, it was a really interesting dichotomy when I first started writing the book and I had this group of beta readers, right. Who I would send out chapters to and ask their thoughts. And it was a really interesting mix of people, you know, a lot of my mom's friends, a lot of my friends. And so just a lot of different ages and opinions. Um, and a lot of people wrote back saying, I'm so sorry this happened to you. And I know, I know, like you said yesterday, that that is something that they, they want to say. So it, it helps them feel like, you know, they've acknowledged it mm-hmm. um, and they've in a way empathized with it. But it was weird when I was writing this book, I, I kind of wanted to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a big deal. Just be happy that I'm writing a book. <laughs> I know. I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that because I feel the same way. Like, is it bad that part of me is like, it's yeah. not a big deal? Like it is, like yeah. it's horrible. Let's not yeah. cut that. Uh, let's not um, forget that it was a very traumatic experience. But at the same right. time, right. that sorry doesn't do anything, I think, for either right. one of us. That sorry is definitely <laughs> something that helps other people try to connect with you and try to empathize like you just said um why do you think we avoid the I'm sorry though like isn't that kind of a weird thing to do I feel weird about it myself because truthfully I mean I as an outsider and as someone who's also been in it I think at least I'm gonna answer your own question (laughs) Mm -hmm, (laughs) that mm -hmm. um I think maybe that sorry doesn't do anything for you because you know that it's led you to who you are that you've created a beautiful you know business you've wrote a beautiful book you're helping people you're a healer and that's part of your your essence of being a healer is having been through pain how the fuck can you mm. empathize with anyone sorry I swear a lot <laughs> but how could you <laughs> possibly empathize with anyone when you haven't experienced the pain yourself it's empty That's it doesn't so mean true. anything so I think it just adds to you know the power that you have so and same true. with yeah and same with myself like I, I wouldn't change anything I look back on my life and all the chaos that I've experienced with gratitude Mm. Yeah, I I have had many moments in my life where I've looked back almost in the immediate wake of pain happening and been like, oh, you know, now I get it. You know, I remember the first time I was heartbroken. I was like, oh, okay, so this is how this feels. And I think Mm -hmm. after after the the assault, too, I mean, I had spent that whole year, that whole first year of college looking at headlines. about sexual assault and rape and being really kind of shocked by them. I think I didn't realize, I mean, I came from a very sheltered town in Connecticut and so Mm. uh, like small, small town. And so, you know, I didn't realize that that's how 
women in the world were treated as as naive as that sounds I was only 18 but like I don't know I just thought everyone every woman was given the respect that like my family had given me growing up right right? and that was definitely a naive a naive outlook but um I was already so shook by those news headlines like I remember that do you remember the there was a girl at Columbia University who was raped and Columbia refused to take her assailant off campus or to remove him from campus. And so she literally carried her twin XL mattress on her back all year as a like form of protest and a form of performance art. Yeah. I was following that a lot my freshman year and I didn't understand, like I understood her point, but I didn't understand her pain. And then when it happened to me that summer, I was like, you know, Oh, and in a way it almost feels good. It's like, okay, now I know, now I know about this part of life, you know? And I guess I was a little grateful for that. Yeah. I think that that's, it's amazing that we can find gratitude in, in those situations as mess up it is. It's not like we welcome, you know, situations of, yeah. of <laughs> yeah. pain yeah. and trauma and stuff like that, but yeah. to know that it doesn't define us. Um, and we talked about this, we had, we had a beautiful phone call yesterday and, and spoke about <laughs> reclaiming our power and that's what we're doing. And, and I think that mm. the, it almost makes survivors of sexual assault when when you lose your power, because it is taken away from you, that's what rape is. That's what sexual assault is. It's not about sex. It's about control. It's about power. That fucking blew Mm -hmm. my mind when I figured that out. I was like, oh, of course not. It's not about getting some because a dude can get some anywhere. It's not about that. It's let me take (laughs) your power and feel in control. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just, oh, like it's really (laughs) not difficult to find somebody. But so it's, it's never been about that. It's about feeling powerful and being in control. And so when someone takes your power away and you lose your voice, once you gain it back, I think it, it shows how much more resilient you are and the strength that you really have. Cause you fought and you got it back. You, you found the courage to take it back. Like that's remarkable. I loved when you said that yesterday, I thought about that all night and until we <laughs> came back. But, um, I think, you know, I think when this is kind of where the book ends up leading at the end, is just, it would be my real ultimate wish if law enforcement could help, if the process of reporting could help reinstate that power, right? Because that is what you need. You need control back. You need safety. And you need to feel like, okay, I wasn't the one calling the shots in that instance. And now I am. And now for the next however many days, weeks, months, years, like I am going to call the shots. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think what I've learned from, you know, you spoke a bit about your experience. And then uh, in the book, I, I did a lot of research on people who did report. And so kind of how it's structured is like every chapter, there's a little bit of my story. There's a little, there's a story of someone I interviewed, like their whole story. And then there's an analysis of someone who um, I didn't interview, but who you'd probably know from like the headlines, you know, people affiliated with Harvey Weinstein or mm-hmm. you know, the movie Spotlight or things like that, um, who did report. And I just analyzed like, how long did it take them to get their voice back and, and how many obstacles did they face in the reporting process? And Chanel Miller, who um, was sexually assaulted behind the dumpster at Stanford uh, by that swimmer, Brock Turner, she writes in her book so extensively you should read it. It's so, it's so beautifully written. It's like probably my favorite book. Um, but she writes so extensively about the law or about reporting and about the lawyers, exactly what you talked about, about feeling crazy on the stand about yes, 
Yes. 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 Yeah. They make you literally lose your mind. I remember being 11 years old because the the process takes so long. I took a year to tell my mom and then it took another year to go to court, finally being in court. And, um, just the lawyer asked me a question and they were poking holes in my story and was like, I don't, I remember they were like, oh, well, you said this, but like, actually this happened. It's like, I don't remember. I don't remember. All I know is that this happened and like little 11 year old me lost it. And the judge was like, okay, we're going to have a little recess. Yeah. (laughs) I mean like recess for what? Like, isn't it fucked up that like, I mean, to not believe an adult is obviously horrible to know that they went through this awful experience, but also not to believe a child is really fucked up. It's really fucked up. Also at that age, recess should just mean something. (laughs) Totally oh different. Oh my god! <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. Good point. Good point. Recess yeah. does mean something so different. It shouldn't be in a <laughs> court really of does. law. <laughs> but you're, you know, it's just a total re-victimization process m- much of the time. And I think that, I think that, you know, my dad, he had a question for me when I when he finished reading the book. He's like, "Are you encouraging people not to report?" And that was a tough question uh, because I'm not. I think, you know, if that's part of your healing process, you need to do that. I guess my point is we can't expect people to report to the current system we have. Like as it's currently laid out, the fact that it takes control, that it re-victimizes, that it it has been proven to also not work. I mean, that's we haven't even touched on that, but like, I think, I think you said your case, it did work out. Uh, I mean, no. what is working out, right? It I didn't. know. He, no, they yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, they were found not guilty. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. yeah. So it really doesn't, you're, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. It is very, it is re-victimizing. It's re-traumatizing. Um, it's putting, it's making the survivors of sexual assault relive it yeah. just so that their uh, accusers are found not guilty. Like, what the fuck's the point? So I, I really appreciate books like yours. It, <laughs> it highlights the fact that the justice system it is not in the favor of the victim. It it doesn't support, um, it really doesn't support the healing process, but it also doesn't put much faith in the victim themselves. No, it doesn't. And that's the whole, I mean, it, there's just a lot of problems, but I think I think one of them is just, when I talked to that female detective, uh, she made a really interesting point. She said, you know, cops are trained to interview suspects. So if you come in and you're reporting and they're interviewing you, you're a suspect, you know, they're treating you in the same way that they would treat a suspect, which they're not taking any, you know, they're not starting by believing, which is something you're supposed to do with survivors. When someone's telling you their, their story, right. You start by believing. Um, they can't do that because that's what their profession trains them not to do. You know, they're looking for holes. They're looking for clues. They're, and I think in our hypersensitive state, after a very recent trauma, everyone is, like, you feel that. If you're sitting across from a person who's skeptical of you, you feel it. And like, mm. it doesn't feel good, you know? And mm. and at bare minimum, it doesn't feel good. And at the worst possible circumstance, you know, it it totally re-triggers you. I, I saw this article and I, it's really sad. Um, I mentioned it in the book, but there was this girl, this woman, Frances Andrade, who actually committed suicide in the middle of her rape trial because she felt so, she felt that she was reliving uh, the trauma to such an extent. And I just, I know that's an uncommon story and it's anecdotal, but 
I don't know, stuff like that is really staggering and, and is a good reminder of like actually how serious this is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I wonder how rare that really is and how many situations actually are that way and just people don't know about it or because it's so hidden, because yeah. it's so hush hush. Um, yeah. I'm curious to know though, um, because you you mentioned earlier that you told you know, when you when this happened to you that you would tell your story to your partners and to friends. Um, I'm really curious to hear about your experience with with telling your family. Did they know prior to you writing the book, or were you like, "Hey, I'm writing a book, and now you know"? Or how did that go about? It's so funny. Someone just asked me this the other day in an interview because I feel like it is it is a juicy beat, and so like oh. props to you. <laughs> I mean, I just, I felt like I had built it up in my head for so long. Right. And I was like, you know, I do feel that when you, when you need support, you can get it from all different directions, but if you're not getting it from the one person that you really would like it from, you can still feel that hole, you know, you can still feel unsupported, even if you have it from a million other people, if it's not from that one. And, And for me, that one was definitely my mom. And I mean, I chose not to tell her because I I didn't feel totally confident, not with just her, but just with my whole society, like my whole like town that had raised me. And like, you know, as I mentioned, it's a really small town. It's a, it's a bit conservative. Um, yeah, I just wasn't sure how progressive their response would be. And I didn't, you know, at that point when it first happened, I think part of me was still wondering if it was my fault. You know, I think it took me a long time to realize fully that it wasn't. And So when I'm sitting there still kind of thinking, oh, maybe I could have just had a little less to drink, or maybe I could have not consented to other things with this person, you know, I think I was really afraid that my mom was going to even slightly press on any of those Mm -hmm. sensitive areas. And if that happened, I just, I just knew like it would set, it would set me back a bit in the healing process. And, you know, of course, when I ultimately told her, six years later, seven years later, she did not do any of those things. And I think we talked about this on the phone too, but like, you know, what I think is really powerful actually is that my mom's reaction, like many female reactions is kind of one of, yeah. Okay. You know, Mm -hmm. it's almost like that tracks. I mean, we all know how many people it happens to, um, slash it's happened to, I would say the majority of us in, to some extent, you know, right. Like maybe not rape or assault, but at least harassment. And oh, yeah. yeah. And, and she was, she knows how like men can be, um, yeah. or people. So she, she wasn't, um, well, one, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like she rejected you in any way that we had, no. you know, <laughs> catastrophized it to me, uh, but did. also that, that she, um, is it fair to say that she, I don't want to say unsurprised because that sounds it was it, unsurprised was really close. And I think, I think she was almost a bit detached, which I appreciated and was what I actually needed. And, you know, of course she was upset as any mom would be, but I she just didn't make think, it about her. Exactly. And I just think the, the commonness of that type of thing in the lives of women, I mean, you know, this earlier this year, there was that whole thing about uh, you know, not all men, but yes, all women, right? Like not all men are bad, but yes, all women are trained to be like wary of the ones that are. Mm-hmm. So I think for my mom, it was just less emotional. And then my dad, um, cause he didn't grow up a woman. I think he was kind of like, 
yeah, a bit more emotional about it. Actually, he, he got, he had all the anger and emotion and mm-hmm. process of healing. He, he went out on the boat for like two days by himself. So <laughs> just to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Healing looks different for everyone. So. Yeah, totally. Um, totally. Yeah, I do find that interesting. I think that I actually, now that you say that, um, the women in my life had mostly different reactions um, mm. than the men in my life. Although, so? yeah, although my dad still doesn't know. Really? Is he listening to your podcast? Yeah. He's so technologically like inept. I'm just waiting for a family member to slip it up because one of the biggest reactions definitely was like, and that's why I said your mom didn't make it about her. She could mm. have had a very like visceral response, which was mm. like, oh my God, I can't believe and this and that. I mean, very upset. But I think that she was, at least what I gather from your story mm. is that she was concerned about you and how do I support you? Mm. Whereas um, some people, and it, it comes from a good place. It comes from well intentions, but yeah. they do make it about themselves. I'm so sorry. I can't believe this happened to you. I yeah. didn't know that. I Why didn't you tell me? I, 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 and it's like, whoa, I am shocked that somehow you made this story about you. And that was my <laughs> response. Truly was a lot of people well-intentioned, of course, that love me dearly. We're just like, I can't believe I didn't know. I can't believe I couldn't have saved you. I can't believe mm. I didn't Mm. this isn't helpful (laughs) right right like we don't need everyone else to be feeling pain I got it (laughs) I'm feeling it I'm getting through it yeah I would rather you be happy you know and I think that was part of it too and I wonder if this is part of why you're not telling your dad is just (laughs) preserving that I think he would lose it yeah, he yeah. would not be he would not be okay. I don't think that he could handle information like that. I can't believe I'm <laughs> saying this. And people are like, people are definitely gonna seek out my father and be like, listen, watch this and like be crazy. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't know. At least he hasn't said anything to me. If he does know, he hasn't said anything. Yeah. I can't imagine him not telling me that he doesn't that he knows. Yeah. It's an awkward, I mean, it's so funny ever since I told my parents because I didn't tell them till like the book Years. was getting published. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and I have a book. Not only did this happen, but there's a book out about it. <laughs> I was like, when you read this, there's something you should know. Be prepared. Oh, my goodness. Um, but, you know, even like my dad and I still haven't talked about it. We don't really talk about it still. It's just like, okay, you read the book. Um, but, but yeah, we as we talked about yesterday, like I do think there's power from – yeah, just being detached from what happened to you. Not that like there is never a right way or a wrong way to heal, but I do think the point that I'm at in the process of healing where I can just be like, yep, I'm one in five, you know, is a bit empowering. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it it is definitely um, empowering or just finding our power back. Like it's just, I think it's incredible. Um, and we spoke about this yesterday a little bit, but feeling the need, I guess, to tell our story, but not wanting to and letting go of that burden. That, that was magical to say the least. What, what pushed you? What pushed you to finally do it? Um, so it's, (laughs) it's kind of a crazy story. Like it is a little wild, but I have, I have a good friend now. Are you ready for this? Okay, cool. (laughs) I've become friends with a psychic who I love dearly. She's wonderful, very talented. I know I'll I'll get you in contact with her. She's great. And so she, um, we were talking about my podcast and she's like, so uh, Madison, why don't you want to be seen? I was like, what do you mean? 
She's like, you're protecting yourself from something. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, no, no, no. You're protecting yourself from something. You want to be in control. You don't want people to see you. So you're afraid to speak out. You're afraid to promote yourself. Basically what happened to you when you were about nine or 10? I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh yeah. She called me right out. She called me right out. And I was like, well, there's yeah. Oh, she's, she's great. She's very good. It's also like a healing thing, not just like accurate, but also like, how do I help heal you? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, there's this one thing that happened to me when I was about nine or 10 that I can think of. She's like, well, what? like, I, she's like, well, tell me what happened. I'm like, I don't think it was it. She's like, no, no, no. Tell me. It's like, okay, well, I was, um, I was assaulted. I, I was sexually assaulted. She's like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm like what? She's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. She's like, you have been carrying that with you, and then of course I start to cry because it was just like such a weird, like emotional release. She's like, you've been holding on to that. She's like, you are so combative because of it. You are so mm. like instead of letting people think whatever they want about you, you have to like almost fight them, fight them, and and manufacture this version that you want to be so people can see you a certain way. You want people to see you anyway else because you're trying to protect yourself. You're trying to protect that child of you. And I was like, fuck, Debbie, what do I do? I was like, I don't know. So we, we had this whole conversation. And soon after, I was like, I need to release it because I am holding on to it. She was right. Because every single day, I don't know about you. I would love to hear your story, but yeah, I was thinking about it literally every day, multiple times a day, mm. 10 years later, 10 years yeah. later, thinking about like, not that I, you know, would cry in a corner and be right, woe sure. was me, but it's something that just, it, it reminds me like all the time it's brought up. And the second that I told my story, even though I didn't want to, because I was ready to release it. I'm like, I can't fucking hold on to this baggage that isn't mine. I stopped thinking about it. I haven't thought wow. about it in the way, unless someone brings it up like, oh, hey, and like, we can talk about it, but I don't have that attachment anymore. I don't it's need crazy. to protect myself. I'm ready mm-hmm. to be seen because mm-hmm. it's not like we've talked about already. It's not my baggage. It's not my shame. Right. So, right. I mean, that is, a, that's an amazing transformation. I can't believe, <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I can believe that you were still thinking about it that much you know mm-hmm. that much later but I can't believe the psychic nailed it <laughs> oh she's good she's good that's my other takeaway from this no <laughs> yeah, that I got a good psychic yeah I'm like okay but no but I I totally do relate because I think that you know when I started writing the book I didn't want to include my story in it I was like I care a lot about this issue but and of course, you know, this is how I was spinning it in my head, ready? I'm sure you'll be like, okay, yeah, I would have <laughs> been there too. But I was like, I don't need to make it about me. This is a, not a book about me. I'm 25. I, I'm not writing a memoir. Like, I care about the issue and I don't want the issue to get lost in like, mm. you know, my, what happened to me. Um And then I had all these journal entries about, you know, from when I was going through it and I would still think about it a lot. And as with any trauma or whatever, um, you know, it was pretty emotional thinking. And so it was like good writing and then an interesting writing. And so my editor, you know, we were structuring the book at the beginning and I, we had structured it without me. And then I threw her one, one journal entry I had written. And I was like, Courtney, what do you think? This is the type of thing that we could put in, but I I still don't really know. And she goes, no, no, no. This is the most interesting thing you've written. Like, not that the rest of it isn't interesting, but it's just, 
it's human nature to want to connect with an individual, right? Like you can read statistics all day long. And actually someone said this and it's a quote on my back, the back of my book. Cause I think it's so cool. He goes, others have published studies. Roberts publishes stories. And I was like, Oh, that is the goal because I was boring myself when I was writing, you know, about studies, about why people don't report or yada, yada. And what really interested me was just retelling other people's stories. And then, you know, I think also retelling my own was an interesting process. And when you see how it comes together on paper, I wonder if this is how it was for you telling it. Like when you see how it comes out, it kind of makes you realize, you know, the ways in which you've been holding it in sort of. Like I was like, oh, I got chills. (laughs) That was a whole chapter. (laughs) You know, it, it was shocking. It was shocking. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but I do know that I think watching my, because I, I did it on, on video and I recorded it and watching it back, it was just like, what am I holding on to anymore? There was def- there was a lot of healing there. There was a lot of self-reflection that I was able to do as a result of telling my story, which I'm sure you were able to do with your journal entries and putting together in a book. So how long ago was it that you did that video? Um, not too long ago, not too long ago. I think um, maybe what month are we in? We're in May, maybe February. I don't think it was actually, yeah, I don't think I just started wow, my so podcast. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you, you just told your story. This is mm, brand new. Wow. And what are some of the, um, reactions that you've gotten from your book? I mean, I know a couple stories already, but, uh, that <laughs> how people respond, I guess, to your vulnerability and your authentic, your authenticity, sorry. Yeah, a lot of people said that it made them really emotional. Um, you know, in my beta reader community and in my with my uh, family that's read it, they read it before I, I submitted it because I was like, if you need any changes, we will make them now before it goes to print. Um, I, yeah, a lot of people have said, it, you know, it made them emotional. I think my sister had a really cool takeaway. Uh, she was like, Kale, I can't even imagine how scary this must be because, you know, one of the reasons that I write about in the book that people don't report is fear of like being seen as a victim of something before being seen as anything else, like Mm -hmm. before being seen as a person or an author or whatever, you know, and a lot of women, you know, before being seen as a professional, um, you know, we don't report sometimes to protect our careers. Um, and she said to me, you know, I, I, I realized while reading that the reasons you didn't report, you know, to keep that part of your story separate from who you are, um, when you meet people or, you know, just to people on the street, you're now getting rid of that by publishing it. <laughs> um, and when she said that to me, I was kind of like, oh, you're right. Whoa. I mean, I, I knew it. And I think I felt that fear. But what's been really refreshing, I guess, um, that I haven't really paused to think about yet since it just came out last week. So thank you for making me do this for the first time, um, is that no one really has had the reaction of, oh, you are, you know, a victim of something. It's much more, oh, you're an author. Maybe that's just because mm-hmm. people haven't re- actually like opened it yet. But, <laughs> um, but no, that's been actually a, a nice surprise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I'm, I'm glad that that's been the response then and that nobody is trying to victimize you or put you in a box because I definitely see you as you were listening to all of these things. And the, and the first thing that came to mind was, was brave. Um, and I don't know if that's something that you want to be considered, considered for um, truthfully, because maybe that's, I don't know if that's empowering to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel that you have a lot of courage and a lot of bravery and, what I've noticed from telling my story, which I'm sure you'll also get a lot of is people wanting to just, well, I know this is happening already, but people wanting to tell you their story because it's like, Oh, you've been through something. You've been through pain. I yeah. I have too. And just the eagerness right. because people, they again, they're holding on to stuff that isn't theirs. And when I think they feel like they can confide in someone that is, um, it, it's very helpful for them or they're, they're going to be very eager to. And so I've definitely got a lot of that of people being like, Oh, let me tell you my deepest, darkest secret. <laughs> and, um, and having, mm-hmm, yeah, it really happens, which is, it's wonderful to build a community like that, to help people, right. to support people like that. It, it is wonderful. It really is. And then you start to realize, wow, we have all been through such pain, you know? I mean, it's such a inextricable part of being human is going through pain pain and um totally sucks when it's happening but I think it's one of the most powerful ways we can connect and I don't know if you're into Buddhism at all but I started getting into Buddhism a little and it's like it just talks about how you know anyone's pain is not just the individual pain it's actually like the pain of the collective Mm. I'm not too far down that path but I thought (laughs) that was interesting that is very Um, interesting yeah. I think there's, I think there's definitely truth to that. Um, it reminds me of a quote, I think from, oh shoot, who was it by? I definitely don't want to get it wrong. I think it might've been <laughs> Nelson Mandela. It could have been Nelson Mandela. Funny. Yeah, I think so. But he talked about like the oppressor and, mm-hmm. you know, we're not all just be, like, we're not all liberated until the oppressor is also liberated because of somebody mm-hmm. who is, you know, they're also trapped. They're also oppressed. Mm-hmm. The oppressor is oppressed, mm-hmm. you know, in turn causing damage, like uh, essentially hurt people, hurt people. Yes. And so we need to all just be free of that suffering or work towards a collective um, liberation, not just for ourselves, not just individuals, but more in a macro level I guess it's so it's so funny because I think you know with the topic of sexual assault especially in rape like it's so common that people who do sexual like who commit sexual assault or rape the perpetrators have also been the victims right at Mm -hmm. some point and so yeah I I definitely have gone down that path a bit of just thinking about not even you know even if they weren't raped or sexually assaulted right I've been thinking a lot about how masculinity affects all of us. And it's, it's you know, I read this book uh, for Love of Men by Liz Plank, which I so love and highly recommend. And it actually is a lot of statistics, but mixed in with stories. So I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just talks a lot about how, you know, yes, we have it hard as women for sure. And like, you know, I, I've view sexual assault and rape through my lens, at least as a woman's issue. I know it happens to as many as one in six men, which is still a crazy amount, but, you know, viewing it through the lens of a woman's issue, obviously we have a lot of struggles. I mean, at bare minimum, like childbirth, right. Um, that we have to get through, but we have this incredible force that is feminism and is, you know, people trying activism and, and men don't have that, which, 
you know, I want to be careful not to like over empathize, but I, I do feel a lot of empathy yeah. for these men who are brought up like not knowing how to express their emotions. Like mm-hmm. society doesn't have that expectation of them. Uh, right. And like society doesn't have the expectation that they'll, they'll be, yeah, connective or emotional. It's, it's much more be the provider. And yes. that's a lot of stress. That's a yes. lot of stress. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my God. I, you're, oh, every, everything you're saying right now, is just straight facts. <laughs> um, and we I could start a podcast more. about it. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm>, truly. <laughs> but I, I, I love this because, but also this is such a, a wonderful, um, topic that I'm also very interested in because masculinity and hyper-masculinity is something that fascinates me. Um, but also, and this is, I only say this to very few people because I realize how cold it sounds and are callous, but I feel like at least, and this is with my world lens, right? We all have Mm -hmm. problems. We're all fucked up, whatever. But I feel like men are, Oh, this is going to sound so cold, but sometimes very emotionally weak, but it's because we've taught them to be that way. Whereas like all, I know so many men, there are too many men that I know that have substance abuse issues that are so aggressive that have dependency issues Mm -hmm. because we tell them, I think at such small children that you can't cry, be Mm -hmm. a man, don't be a pussy, don't be a girl, man up, whatever, have some balls, all these horrible derogatory terms that we call them and that we expect them to be right. And then when they grow up and because they haven't been able to peel back the layers and look at themselves emotionally and, and reflect inwardly that of course they create dependency problems, substance abuse problems. We haven't created a society where they, you know, can, can depend on other people. Totally. And even if they have the best, most woke mom in the world, you know, mm-hmm. as I'm sure we both will be someday. Like <laughs> the the fact is that if society isn't expecting it of them, then like you could be raised the best way possible. And if you, the messaging you're getting like on the street or at school or at college, especially, I mean, don't even get me started on frat culture. That is like a huge issue. I was in a sorority and actually like enjoyed it, but uh, and loved frat boys, but uh, <laughs> like after writing this book, especially, I'm like, wow, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, it is a breeding uh, a breeding ground for mm-hmm. that, a lot mm-hmm. of issues. But you know, like if that's the messaging they're getting their whole lives, regardless of like how they were raised, I just think that it's not even what we tell them to do. It's it's not just that. It's also like what we don't ask them to do. Like, have they? are they ever asked like sit down and have a vulnerable conversation, you know, or write this poem or, you know, make this mm-hmm. art or whatever. I just, I don't feel like the encouragement is there in the same way. It's not. I feel, no, bad. Definitely I feel not. bad. I do me feel too. bad. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Um, and I think that's what keeps us also at this, um, in this healthy place of healing. I truly, yeah. I think that also helps yeah. in our healing because we can look back on people who have hurt us with this sense of, I hope you can heal because yeah. we're not there anymore. It's a lot different. Like um, when you like look back on instances with anger or resentment or regret or pain or whatever, right. it doesn't do you any good. It really doesn't. Not to say that it isn't harmful, but uh, that it didn't hurt, but it's like, when you hate someone, it's like wanting them to drink the poison, but drinking it yourself. <laughs> that kind of is, thing. That's great. 
Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what it is. But instead we're evolved from that really. And it's like, I, I am who I am and it happened to me, but again, it's not my problem. It's not my story. Mm-hmm. And so um, we hope the best for them. And that's where it kind of ties back into this collective healing. We need to yeah. all relieve ourselves from this suffering, right? not Which just on an individual level. even problem. more relevant now, because I mean, now we've all gone through this collective trauma with COVID. I, I've been oh, thinking yes. about it so much lately, right? Like, I feel like we're just starting to come out of it. And I was just thinking before we got on about last April and May when every single day we'd watch the news and there'd be more deaths and it was so scary. And, and yeah, I just, I think now we are in this period and I hope, I hope podcasts like yours really continue to take off. I hope, you know, there are even more books about healing like mine, like just because I think we're going to need it. And I, my fear is that we're going to pretend like we don't need it because this was a huge, I mean, this is a transformative period for all of us and we went through it together so it would be awesome if we could like heal together too yeah I think that's a asking point. too much <laughs> I, I wish it wasn't I wish it wasn't asking too much I mean I, I think it's a beautiful thought I think it's a beautiful wish and <laughs> right definitely some people are going to resist pretend like yeah. it didn't happen yeah. but there are a lot of things that COVID did especially to bring um, it, it brought a lot of issues to the forefront. It brought a lot of lessons and whether or not we want to learn them, that's up to us, I guess. Um, but I think we both done, a, we've both done a lot of learning. And did you write your book over, is that when you wrote your book? Was yeah, I was just about to say, you started a podcast. I literally (gasps) that's right. wrote my book. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a good time of healing in, in that sense it's, it's crazy to me, like how much pain can, uh, manifest into progress. There's right. the, and that's exactly what happened. We've turned our pain into progress. Thank you. COVID. <laughs> Which is totally a privilege, right? I mean, definitely. It I feel is. lucky that I was able to work from home and I like went home to my parents and everything and, um, was unemployed for a bit, but like, wasn't too scared about it. So yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. I just think that, it was definitely a privilege, but I, I hope, I hope there's a like silver lining for everyone. I don't know. I, I agree. I, I hope the yeah. same thing. Um, I hope that there's something that can be learned uh, and, and changed, but you're right. Definitely from a place of privilege. I was very lucky. I most, I think, I don't know how it is now. I haven't received or haven't applied for any benefits, but in Canada, I think most of us were pretty lucky. It was just kind of oh, like really? apply and you'll get this. Yeah, yeah. It was right away. We were, they were just giving out benefits and that's amazing I love Canada as you know (laughs) all Americans love like want to go to Canada when Trump was president everyone was like all right we're going to Canada that's it yeah (laughs) the thing is that you're not going to find any any places of warmth then again you do live in New York so I'm sure you're uh, you've adjusted to the cold do you think you'll ever leave and go somewhere warmer Uh, I I like the cold (laughs) I'm a true-blooded Canadian That is it for this week's episode of Hey 20s. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Hey 20s Podcast. Send me a DM, send me some messages. Let's connect, start a conversation. Also, for next week, I have a special episode. 
I'm going to be talking about some life lessons, life lessons that I've learned over 24 years. Anyways, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much, guys. Um, Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy. Bye-bye.